Um, as we're continuing our series, I'll read the scripture passages as well. Acts 8.1, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts 11.19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among, only among Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Linda, and congratulations again. Uh, I heard Linda got married two weeks ago, and uh, I don't know if you guys had a chance to recognize the family news, but I thought today could be a good day. Yeah, can we just give? Yeah, and just celebrate. And anytime there's a, a marriage or something like that, it's worthwhile celebrating. And happy belated Thanksgiving to all of you guys. I um, obviously uh, was here last month, and uh, looks. I'm just glad to be back again to be able to share God's word with you. Um, what I'm going to do is this. Um, I'm going to just pray for the message, and then afterwards, if the clicker is here, yes, it is. Uh, I have a little video clip that I want to show you, and then I'll get into the message, okay? So without further ado, can I just ask you to bow your heads with me, and uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for that powerful reminder this morning as Jeanette was leading us in worship. It's not about how many people are gathered in a room. It's whether you are in the room. And we want to recognize that you are in this room. We want to recognize that you are with this church. We want to recognize, Lord, that you love this church. And just even as we were worshiping, as we were singing that song, you are my strength and I am weak. Jesus, you are the treasure that we seek. That is the meaning of Advent. And that is what I hope and pray, Lord, you will do for THMC today. That you would help us, God, to sense your nearness, God, that you are truly Emmanuel, God with us, and that you are truly working even in this church, even through this time. And so, God, we just give our hearts, our minds, our, our attention to you today. Be with us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to show you a little video clip. Um, if we can... Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shifting, <laughs> shifting, shifting sands in the region. Do you think relations with the north may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. <laughs> the um, pardon me. <laughs> pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months to a year. That uh, was from 2017. The man that you saw in the video clip is his name is Robert Kelly. He's kind of a foreknown expert 
in North Korea and South Korea relations. And while the entire world was laughing at this man as he was being bombed by his children <laughs> who came and inter decided to interrupt his nice interview with BBC, people were not laughing when the year 2020 came around and we found ourselves in a very similar situation. For those of you who've had to have work meetings on Zoom, who've had to work remotely, and if you have children, I don't know how many times my youngest came in and Zoom bombed one of my meetings. Like, I'll be in a very serious kind of counseling, you know, situation with another pastor or leader on Zoom, and my five-year-old or four-year-old back then kind of walks into the room and says, hi, you know, into the background. And so, you know, little did we know that we will be kind of sharing in the same plight that Robert Kelly in this video clip was experiencing. And I share that video clip with you because I wanted to begin with just a state by stating a very simple truth about life. And that it's that life is full of interruptions. Can I get an amen? Maybe some of you guys experienced it this morning when the coffee machine wasn't working. Maybe your internet or your printer, like my printer for some reason wasn't working and I realized I didn't have any paper in it. You know, maybe some of you guys, you know, had a, you know, uh, some sort of like an emergency or a phone call that you had to take on the way to church. Life is full of interruptions. And it's not just that life is full of interruptions, but life is also full of disruptions. Now, some of you guys might be asking, well, Pastor Jeff, what's the difference between an interruption and a disruption? An interruption is a momentary, kind of a lighter scale kind of a break or interruption that kind of takes place in your life. You know, it's kind of what I was mentioning to you. You know, like you get a phone call in the middle of a meeting, you know, like something doesn't work. Those are interruptions. But a disruption is completely different. A disruption is much larger in scale. It's something that's far more widespread. It's something that could actually bring about catalytic change to the way that we experience life, to the way that we do life, to the way that we live life. A disruption, a life disruption is when you're sitting at the doctor's office and he reads off a scan and he tells you in those few words, I think you might have cancer. That is a disruption. A life disruption is when you worked for a company or for maybe even a church for 15, 20 years and one day you're told, we got to let you go. A disruption is when you are on a family vacation somewhere in Hawaii and you get a phone call saying that one of your loved ones has passed away. These are not just mere interruptions. They are major disruptions that actually affect our flow and our way of living life. And I bring this up with you because in the first six chapters or seven chapters in the book of Acts, we've seen the early church go through several interruptions, have we not, right? We've seen them go through growing pains. And like when I was here last time, you know, we saw that the church, you know, is being threatened by the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. They're persecuted and put in prison. Their leaders are persecuted in prison in Acts 5. And there's this distribution of food that, you know, between the Hellenistic Jews and the regular Jews, you know, that's kind of creating some sort of rifts and division in Acts 6. Acts 6. These are mere interruptions. But then you get to Acts 7 and something really, really important happens. A watershed event happens. One of the deacons that was elected 
or that was chosen, named Stephen, he is killed for his faith. He is stoned. And that persecution, that martyrdom, ignites a firestorm of persecution, not just against Stephen, but against the entire church. And that's exactly what Linda read for us in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 this morning, that when Saul saw that he was no longer just satisfied with the martyrdom of Stephen, he wanted to go after the entire church, we're told in Acts 8, 1, that he persecuted the church. And it caused this scattering of the church throughout different regions around Jerusalem and beyond. That, my friends, would be one of the most important events that would actually take place in church history, even the history of Christendom in and of itself. So today, in a message that's entitled Divine Disruption, I want to unpack Acts 8 a little bit more because I know last week Chris was here and she kind of talked uh, about some of those implications in a message that's entitled Proclaiming Christ. But as I met with her this past Tuesday, I know the emphasis on proclaiming Christ was sort of the focal point of our message. But the focal point of my message is through this divine disruption in the church, how did God work through the church? What was God doing in the church? Because Without saying much, I know you guys know that right now, not just THMC, but the church as a whole with the capital C is going through quite a disruption. It's going through quite a significant change. It's not just here at this church, but so many of the churches that I'm in connection with, so many of the leaders that I I meet with and that I counsel, um, that I mentor, they're going through radical shifts Whereas like one leader told me, it's like after COVID was over, I felt like I lost half my congregation. And half new people came in and I don't, I, it feels like I'm at a new church now, even though I've been there for seven years. And I'm not just talking about those kind of changes, but I think there are churches going through another major disruption. And I think when we study Acts 8 and beyond, it might actually give us a little bit of a window into seeing what God might be doing now through the current disruption that we're seeing in the church. How did the disruption of Acts 8, how does that inform the disruption that God is doing right now in 2022 and beyond is kind of where I want to drill down into our message for today. So, Let me just share with you three things that I see God doing through the divine disruption of Acts 8, 1 and beyond. And how that's going to inform maybe perhaps the divine disruption that he's doing right now in the church. Number one, I see that through the divine disruption in Acts 8, 1, that God is actually expanding his church. That God is actually trying to expand not just the church, but he's trying to extend sort of the influence of Christianity through the persecution and through the disruption that we see in Acts 8.1. Let's look at Acts 8.1 again. Look, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the apostles were scattered. Can we say that again? Scattered. Okay. The word scattered, by the way, is the Greek word Diaspora. Have you guys ever heard that word? It literally means dia through, and spora is seed. It means to scatter, literally seed. 
And what I am understanding through Acts 8.1 is that literally the seed of the gospel and the seed of Christendom would actually be scattered and spread through this particular event. Let me give you some evidence from Scripture, okay? Uh, let me go through this part here. Through the scattering, here's what we're going to see taking place. Right after Acts 8.1, from Acts 4 through 8, we're going to see the gospel going through Samaria, okay? It's going to travel north where Philip's going to take the gospel to Samaria, and then Peter and John's going to follow him, and he's going to preach the gospel to Samaria. And then afterwards, Philip goes down to Gaza, which is in the area of Judea. So we see the gospel now traveling south to Judea, and Peter also goes down to Judea, also preaches the gospel there and performs miracles there. And does that kind of remind you of anything? How the gospel is now going to Judea and to Samaria, does that jog your memory about a particular passage or verse that we might have covered as we were going through Acts? Right? When I was here to kick off the first message in the Acts series, I talked about Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to where? Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see that exactly happening. After Acts 8.1, from Acts 11 through 20, I'm kind of giving you a preview of what's going to happen down the series. The gospel just goes viral. <laughs> the church goes viral. It no longer stays in Jerusalem. It no longer just even stays in the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria, but it actually travels to Asia Minor and ultimately beyond even that. To give you a visual, I give you, I'm giving you a little map. That little dot that you see on the right-hand corner is where Jerusalem is. Again, the gospel first travels up north to Samaria through the preaching of Philip, Peter, and John. Acts 8 goes back down south to Judea, right? Acts 9. And then from Acts 11 and beyond, it just goes whoop. And it just scatters and it just spreads. And that's basically what we learn through this divine disruption is that God was not just content with just having Christianity grow and experience all of this great success and all of this great amazing things happening and just have it localized to Jerusalem because that was not the play and that was not the plan from the get-go. The plan from the get-go was to see the gospel go beyond Jerusalem, go beyond the gates of the temple courts in the city to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there I would even say that that was not Jesus' plan from Acts 1.8. That was the plan of God from the very beginning of creation itself, guys. Because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, let me get, go there. God gives a mandated commission. He says, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to multiply, and I want you to, he doesn't use the word scatter, but spread out and fill the earth. Subdue it. This is the language of kingdom. Bring and extend my kingdom, my dominion over all of the earth. That was the mission. That was the plan. But what did the early humans do? They receive this mandate in Genesis 1.28. God blesses them. They grow, they multiply, but instead of scattering and spreading out, they decide to settle. And, it, and in Genesis chapter 11, we're told they didn't just settle. Rather than trying to spread out 
and increase God's fame and influence and glory throughout the ends of the earth. They just settled there and they decided to build this nice little monument, not to God, but to themselves. Friends, you know, history has a way of repeating itself. And I think we're in a time and we're in a moment where just like we saw, when God sees mankind saying, oh, you're going to build this little nice monument to yourself? I will then scatter you. And I will then fulfill my very purpose and my plan from the very get-go, not to see the kingdom of God just stay at this place called Babel, but to extend beyond that region, that city, to the ends of the earth. I believe we're in a moment right now in the church where we too got a little bit caught playing Babel. I think we got caught, you know, building these nice little monuments to ourselves. We got caught and very busy talking about how success in the church is about how many butts you can get. Excuse my language. I know this is church. But how many butts you can get into the seats. And so a successful church is a church that gathers 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. I'm not saying numbers don't matter, right? But we kind of got to this thing where, like, the bigger you are and the greater the monument, the more successful it is. And we have to understand God's intention from the very get-go was not just to gather people. It was to actually gather and then scatter. Can I get an amen? It was not just to see one monument or one church do amazingly well, but it was actually to see the mission of God extend beyond that church, beyond that region, or maybe even beyond that city. That was God's plan from the very, very get-go. And when I ask myself, what is God doing right now? I think he's disrupting the church because we were not doing Acts 1.8. We were not doing Acts 128. This is a pattern that I see in Scripture. When you lose the assignment, right? I know there's like this trending what TikTok song or like a viral song that says, what is it? how does it go? Something about understanding the assignment, right? right? This is what happens when you lose the assignment, when you don't understand the assignment and you don't do the assignment. Acts, Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, right? When you don't do Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, you get Genesis 11, 8. When you don't do Acts 1-8, you know what ends up happening? You got Acts 8-1. Are you guys with me? This is how committed God is to his plan to see not just church Christians being saved, but to see the nations, to see the ends of the earth come into his eternal glory. When we don't do Acts 1-8, he's going to create some sort of Acts 8-1 type of experience. And I think right now what's happening in the church is that we're not seeing persecution per se like the way that we saw it, but we're seeing quite a disruption. And through this, we're kind of seeing the scattering that has come out of the church where so many people that I'm talking to right now, people that were even part of my old congregation, you know, they're just kind of floating around. They're not really sure. They don't feel like they belong here nor there. And I don't have an ounce of judgment towards them. You know why? Because when I asked them, what, 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 what is it that you're looking for? They said, I, I don't know. But it's just, I just know right now I can't just go back to where I was or go back to a traditional expression of church. 
tells me that God is doing something in the midst of this disruption, just as he did in Acts 8.1. Can I get an amen? So, the question is, the church, as we saw from 2020 and on, the church has been going, going through a disruption and we've been scattered. And the question that I want to ask you, THMC, is what do you think God is doing in this current disruption in the church? Actually, I would even bring this down a little bit more closer to home. What do you think God is doing through the disruption that he might be doing even in THMC? And that is a question that I hope that you guys will kind of try to seek out with God, try to explore with God, to even pray together as a community, as a leadership, to ask the Lord, what are you doing through this current disruption, right, that we're experiencing right now as a family here at THMC? That's the larger question that I hope that you will begin to explore with them because you guys are not the only ones that are going through it. The early church went through it. And there's many other churches even in our region that are going through that as well. So that's the first thing, right? When God brings disruption to the church, it's because he wants to expand the mission of the church. Secondly, when God actually brings disruption to the church, it's because he wants to activate his church. He wants to activate his church. Now, what do I mean by this, okay? We're told in Acts 8.1 that a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, this is really interesting because remember how in Acts 1, Jesus said, right, after he lays out the play, right, to say, hey, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And he says, I will clothe you for, with power from on high, right? Basically, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and we see that the Holy Spirit as I taught in that very first message, is the thing that activates the church for mission. Okay. But that's not the only thing, because if you read other passages in Acts beyond Acts 2, beyond Pentecost, we also see God using trials, hardships, difficulty, challenges in our circumstances of life to actually activate the church as well, as we see case in point in Acts 8.1, we see that it was through persecution that God actually activates almost greater faith and activates the church for even greater mission, okay? Now, uh, to help you illustrate this, um, I, you know, this is Southern California, so I'm sure you guys are no strangers to that scene that we see right there on the screen. Uh, anytime the Santa Ana winds come through, especially during summer seasons when it's super arid and dry and hot, you know that our region is very susceptible to what? Wildfires, right? Wildfires. And you know, uh, several years ago, I took my kids to Yosemite for the very first time. And we were walking around this place called Mariposa Grove. And um, there was this person that was actually giving a tour. And uh, you know, I didn't want to pay for the tour, so I just kind of tagged along just to kind of listen. And I guess the, 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 uh, the arborologist or something, you know, like the, 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 guy, the person that was actually giving the tour was like a nature scientist. And she started to share some really interesting facts that I did not understand. She actually said, 
you know, there was a period in time in history where the sequoias were not growing and they were not multiplying. So conservationists were super worried, right? What was going to happen to the future of these great landmark giants called the sequoia trees? And then one day they began to see and discover that the sequoia trees, right? I have to make sure I get the word right, right? They are not just any ordinary trees, right? But they are what's called pyrophytic trees. Pyrophytic trees, meaning that sequoia trees actually need to be stimulated by fire in order to grow. That sometimes when the fire actually breaks out in the sequoia groves, they will control the fire to make sure that the trees don't get engulfed in the flames, but they will actually let the fire touch the bark of those trees because as the fire hits those trees, it actually stimulates the growth. And not only that, amazing thing, when the fire actually touches the pyrophilic sequoia trees, the, the actual trees will begin to drop the seeds. And the seeds actually look like this. Okay? You see, the seed is, is in that bigger nut. The smaller things are, act, are the actual real seeds, the things that actually contains life for future sequoia trees to be planted. But in that nut-looking acorn thing that you see right there, it's trapped with what's called resin. But the fire actually has to burn against that larger acorn seed and cause the resin to melt out to release the life-giving seeds that it actually contains. And I thought about this, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a wonderful metaphor and illustration for how God even uses not just regular wildfires, but I'm talking about trials that come in the form of fire, right? You know, trials and hardships are going to do two things to people. It'll either crush you and crush your faith, right? As Jesus predicted in the parable of the sower in Acts, uh, Matthew chapter 13, he says, some, some, some seed fall on certain soil so that when times get hard, the seeds get choked up. There are other people, though, and I think real Christians, that when trials come, as hard as they are, as challenging as they might be, the fire, the trials that actually come by fire actually ignite something in them. It actually catalyzes greater faith. You know why? Because when I am going through a season of trial, I will lean into the Lord like never before. And I will lean into pray like never before. I will lean into dependency like, I, like never before. There's something about harshness and challenge that makes us lean into God. And I think the, for the early church, the second scenario was what we see, is that when the trial by fire came through persecution, they leaned into the Lord. They didn't give up. They didn't just give out on their faith, but they leaned into the Lord. And as they did, God actually activated their faith and activated the church to do even greater things. Can I get an amen? And I think that's the same for you, THMC. I understand, you know, as I've been walking with you guys for the last several months, that these are challenging times. There's things that I know that you guys are praying for, that you guys are contending for. There are things that you guys can get discouraged by. But I am praying that this time will be a time, rather than just by falling into discouragement, that you guys will lean into the Lord, 
that you guys will lean into each other, and that this trial that is hitting the church currently by fire would actually ignite greater faith in you guys, would actually catalyze greater movement in the church. Can I get an amen? would actually allow you to go and extend your capacity than just gathering, but to also do something great beyond even the walls of this church. Maybe that is something that God seeks and intends to do through this recent experience of challenges and trials and hardships that you guys have experienced as a community of faith. Are you guys with me? Can I get an amen? Yeah. That's what trials can do. And that's what these trials did for the early church, it actually activated and catalyzed them for greater movement, for greater faith, and to do greater things for God. And I say, let it be so for THMC as well. Amen? Yeah. Last but not least, the third thing, or just a question for you guys to explore before I transition to the third point is, what might God be doing through your current trial by fire that you might be experiencing in your life right now as it relates to your own personal life or as it relates to this church, something for you guys to reflect, for you guys to consider and think about as this message goes on. Last but not least, we saw that God expands his church, God activates his church, but thirdly, God will reform his church through this divine disruption. God will reform his church. What do I mean by this? Okay. Through this disruption, the church of Jesus Christ that we see in Acts is never going to be the same. This is going to be one of the, the most significant shifts. So the reason why you, some of you guys might be asking, well, Pastor Chris came last week and touched on Acts 8. Pastor Jeff, why are you touching upon this again? Because Acts 8 is such an important chapter. Because from this point on, the church is not going to, ever be the same. For one, we're going to see a change in the makeup of the church. Remember, in Jerusalem, in the first six chapters, the church was largely Jewish. But from Acts chapter 8, and especially from Acts chapter 10 and on, the church is going to become way more diverse. It's going to actually consist of not only Jews, but actually Gentiles, other nations, other tribes, other tongues church won't be the same again. And number two, we're actually going to see the shift where what, you remember how the, 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 the center of the church was in Jerusalem in the first six chapters? Well, from Acts chapter 8 and beyond, because now the church begins to expand, we're going to actually see that the center of the church is not going to be in Jerusalem anymore. It's going to be in this place called Antioch. Everyone say Antioch. And you guys probably will get introduced to that church in Acts chapter 11, 12, and 13. And thirdly, you know, even how the church functioned kind of changed. Why? Because remember, when the church was meeting in Jerusalem, what else was in Jerusalem? The temple courts. So when you see Acts chapter 2, as they were gathering, they met in homes, but where else did they meet and gather? Do you remember? They met in the temple courts. They came to their temple worship, their gatherings, these larger gatherings. But once the church is scattered out of Jerusalem into neighboring regions, did those neighboring regions like Judea, Samaria, and in Asia Minor, did they have a temple there? Not, not the same temple that they had in Jerusalem. They had temples devoted to other gods, false gods. And so no longer could they meet in temple courts. They had to meet exclusively what? 
in homes. Now check this out. I got this compilation. It might be a little bit hard to see, but did you know that the normal pattern for the early church, because I know this series was really about uncovering what the early church did was this, is that the normal pattern in the early church was to actually not meet in temple courts. That was kind of what they did, and that's what they were used to because they were Jews who went to the temple. But when Christianity began to spread and began to flourish, no longer could they meet in the temple, but you could see they meet in homes. They meet from house to house, house to house, house to house. That's the language to the first eight chapters of Acts. From there, they go to Cornelius' house, Mary's house, the jailer's house, Lydia's house, uh, Tidius Justin's house, house to house again, Priscilla and Aquila's house. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Throughout the New Testament, the reality of how the church functioned and met was collectively in communities, right? It was actually in these small gatherings, where they did life together, where they shared communion together, where they broke bread together, they shared meals together. And we see that there is like this disruption to how the church, even how they met, from primarily gathering in the temple courts to also now meeting in homes. So again, the church of Jesus Christ from Acts 8 and beyond would never be the same. And so the question is, what do you think God might be trying to reform in your church, in THMC, as a result of the disruption that you are experiencing right now? What are some of the new things that you think that God is trying to bring? Not all change is bad. I know change is hard, but not all change is bad. Some change is actually downright necessary. And the question is, what is the healthy change that God is seeking to bring in the church with the capital C, but to you guys as THMC, as you guys are going through this time of disruption and change? As I close, I really just share, um, this is back in 1966 when the Cultural Revolution took place in China. Hundreds of thousands of Christians were persecuted. Um, As you can see right there, they were put to shame. Some were put in prison. Many were actually put to death. Church buildings were destroyed. Church monuments or any place. Now, mind you, did you guys know that China actually has a history of Christendom that actually goes back to like 80, 70 or something like that? Right? That's how long the roots of Christianity actually goes back. But in 1966, communist Chinese, they wanted to eradicate any existence of Christianity. So they desecrate church buildings, they kicked out missionaries, and they imprisoned and persecuted and put to death Christians. And they thought, we have buried Christianity six feet into the ground. Or so they thought. But do you remember what the word diaspora means? Pop quiz here. Scattered what? Seeds. What happens when seeds are buried underground? What happens when seeds are buried underground? They thought that they had buried Christianity only to realize that by burying the seeds, 
they were actually creating the very means of how Christianity would spread and proliferate through China. Do you know that by modern day estimates right now, this is safe estimates. I've heard estimates around 180 to 200 million Christians, by the way, but this is just a, this is from the uh, Purdue University Centers on Religion and Chinese Society. This is back from a 2018 census. And they estimate right now, currently in China, you have 93 million to 115 million Protestants in China with fewer than 30 million who are attending officially registered churches. This makes China one of the largest Christian nations in the entire world. But how did it happen? It happened because of what we saw in Acts 8.1. It's, it happened because there was a great time of hardship that came across the church, a time of disruption. But in that time of disruption, the church goes underground, and through this complex organic network of house churches, the gospel goes viral, begins to spread, and now we have China as one of the largest Christian nations that actually exists in the entire world. I close with that example just to show you this isn't just what we find in scripture, but this is there's actually modern day occurrences of how this actually works. I think what's happening right now in Iran, what's happening in the Middle East, you should pay close attention to that because very similar things are happening there. They say the fastest growing church right now in the world, do you know where it is? It's actually in Iran. And do you know who's leading it? It's being led by mostly women. Yeah. But again, this is what happens when the church goes through the disruption. We have to remember, don't just look at the disruption. Look for God in the disruption. Don't just get discouraged by all the change and all the things that are happening. Look for God in the change. And look for what God might be doing in that change. And that's a challenge that I want to give to you individually as Christians, but to all of you guys collectively here together as a THMC family as well. Can I get an amen? Let's bow our heads. And um, just want to lead you guys just in a quick response. THMC, is there a disruption that God is doing right now in your life? Is there a challenge? Is there a trial? Is there a hardship that you are currently experiencing? Maybe people in this room, they don't know. But you know, and also God knows. And I'm just wondering, and I'm also inviting you to inquire, God, what are you doing through this trial? What are you doing through this challenge, this disruption that I'm experiencing in my life? 
And my prayer for you right now is that, Lord, give my brothers and sisters here at THMC faith. Faith not only to believe, but faith to lean in, to say, I trust. Can I get an amen? I'm not asking you to just take away the trial. I'm not asking you to even change the circumstances around whatever that challenge or hardship may be, but I'm asking you to impact that very brother and that very sister so that they would have faith to overcome this trial. And that, that through this trial, Lord, that something deep within them would get activated. That just as we saw with those sequoia seeds, Lord, that their outer man, God, would experience a burning away so that the seed of life and the seed of the gospel and the seed of the Holy Spirit can actually express more freely through the lives of my brothers and sisters in this room. And secondly, I just want to pray that for THMC, Lord, as a family, that you would help them, Lord, to move through this time of change, through this time of disruption, and that your very purposes, God, would be unveiled, that it would be made clear, God, even as the weeks and the months and the years progresses. We put our trust and our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.